Let's open our Bibles to Acts, the book of Acts, chapter 22. We started 22 last week. Uh, the last, you know, 11, 13 chapters or so, the, 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 the book of Acts has really zeroed in on the life of Paul. And we've learned from what Paul has said, and we've learned a lot from what Paul did or more specifically, what God did through the life of Paul. And today's going to be no different. We're going to look at some of the things that uh, Paul went through. Uh, we're going to pick up today, uh, Paul's, again, just a little background. Paul has now concluded about 20 years of service, or 20 years have gone by more or less since Stephen's martyrdom. And he's going to come up. Three missionary journeys have been completed by Paul. We've been learning about those. The the third missionary journey is completed when he arrives in Jerusalem, knowing that he's probably going to be arrested, knowing that he's going to suffer persecution and probably take a couple of beatings and all, but he's yet still trusting the Lord. And uh, we're going to pick up here, chapter 22, verse 11, right after he he just took a beating, basically. You know, he's, he's back in Jerusalem for about a week, and turmoil the whole city of Jerusalem goes crazy because Paul had been accused of certain things and they basically want to kill him. The religious leaders of the day want to kill Paul and then they incite the whole city and everybody's all over Paul and and they're going to kill him. They're beating him to death. But then the Roman soldiers, they hear about it and they go and they basically rescue Paul from that beating and, and certain death. And that's where we pick up right here. So take a look, uh, 22. What we're going to do is we're going to read here, and what he's doing, he's, he's retelling what happened. He's addressing the crowd and, you know, these zealous Jewish leaders, and he's addressing the crowd, and he's basically telling them what happened with him on his road to Damascus, as you probably know, and his conversion, basically, when he saw the Lord. And so we're going to read it, we're going to, we're going to mention a couple of things, but then we're going to kind of shoot off, and our message is really going to be centered around the light of the gospel. The light of the gospel. And we're going to look at four points. If you look at your bulletin, what I did this time is I left some blanks, so now you really got to pay attention if you're going to fill that out, right? I usually just give you the, and they're all going to start with ease. I'll give you a little hint. They're all going to start with ease in case I lose you there. Uh, but we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Let's, let's read the portion here and make a couple of comments. Acts chapter 22. The Apostle Paul just got beat up. And now he's telling what, what happened. Verse 11, it says, And since I could not see for the glory of that light, is where we're getting our message from, and since I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came to Damascus. This is where he was going, right? The Lord appeared to him on the road to Damascus. He was chasing down the Christians. Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me. God had already spoken to Ananias. And he stood and said to me, Brother Saul, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that same hour, I looked up at him, Paul says. Verse 14, then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one, Jesus, 
and hear the voice of his mouth, for you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. Does that sound unlike like Acts chapter 1 verse 8? You shall receive the Holy Spirit. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you should be my what? My witnesses to the whole world. And again, we study Acts because Acts is what the Holy Spirit was doing in this world through his church, through the apostles. And we talk about, and I've said this over and over again, that the reason we're studying that is because the same Holy Spirit that worked through them is working now. And we see that now. And you should see that in your life. God working in your life. God working in our congregation, in our church. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Beautiful conversion. Now it happened, let me just finish reading here. Now it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance. And I saw him, Jesus, saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. That's certainly been the case. Verse 19. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I imprisoned and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by consenting to his death and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then he said to me, depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. We're going we're gonna to keep it there. And then if you, if you keep reading, and I highly encourage you to continue reading the book of Acts, and you know what portion we're in, and, and read ahead. But as soon as he says, Gentiles, let me just read verse 22. And they listened to him until this word. They were all fine. Oh, interesting story. What happened? Oh, you were one of us. Because most of the people there in the crowd didn't even know why they were there. Remember that? So they're listening to him. They're like, oh, it doesn't sound too bad. He was chasing down Christians. That sounds pretty good. I'm with them. And then he says, but then God sent me to the Gentiles. And sure enough said that. The beautiful thing is that Paul knew exactly what was going to happen when he said that word Gentiles. God sent me to the Gentiles. What? And then it kind of goes downhill from there in that sense. But we're we're going to wrap it up here. So what we're reading here and what Paul is telling the crowd is, is basically his, the story of his conversion. He says, I was a man zealous. I was a Pharisee. I was chasing down Christians. I was traveling 150 miles to go to Damascus to chase down and imprison Christians. That's who I was, he tells the crowd. And then he says, but then there was a light. Then the Lord appeared to me. So the Lord Jesus Christ had already died, resurrected. And the Lord Jesus Christ makes a personal appearance to Paul, as Paul is chasing the church. And then he tells him back in verses, uh, you can read it here in the earlier verses in, in chapter 22. He says, Paul, Paul, he not, you know, knocks him down, Paul's on the floor, he's, what in the world is going on? And the Lord says, Paul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Uh, what? I'm persecuting these heretics. No. Jesus says, you're persecuting me. <laughs> what do you say, Sorry. And then he says, Lord, who are you? And we talked about that identity and direction, right? Who are you? I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. What? Lord, what do you want me to do? And he gives him that direction. And that's, that's, that's where we pick up right here. Go back to verse 11. 
because I know I'm going to run out of time here. Um, verse 11. He's basically tying the story. And, um, says, and says, I could not see for the glory of that light. The glory just meaning the, how bright that light was. And it was the Lord Jesus Christ, right? And we see different appearances of the Lord's glory. Mainly, uh, remember Moses tells him, tells, tells uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, show me your glory. Wonderful petition. But God says, like, what are you talking about? You don't even know what you're saying. If I show you my glory, you'll die. Here, get in there. When I pass by, after, I'm, you know, after I pass by, I'll, I'll let you know. I'll move my hand, and then you can see the back of me. Get a little glimpse of my glory. And then in the Mount of Transfiguration, the Lord takes his disciples, and he's there. And this, this unveiling occurs, and this great light, and the voice of God comes down and says, here he is. My beloved, hear him. So we see the Lord's glory, and here Paul gets a special glimpse of the Lord's glory. And the glory of the light was so big, so bright, that not only does he get knocked down, but uh, in his earlier account, it says that he had like scales in his eyes. It just burned his eyes. And only by God's grace did he not, you know, obviously die. I'm sure God didn't appear with all his glory. But that, that's the light that, that, uh, that he's talking about. He said that the glory of that light was so, so bright that I just I couldn't see. But the Bible talks a lot about this, this glory and this light. And that's what I want to share with you this morning. The light of the gospel. The first point in your, in your uh, bulletin, it says the light of the gospel. Let me get my, let me get my notes here. You guys ready with your pens? You got a photographic memory. So we're going to talk about four things that the light of the gospel does. I'm sure it does many others, but we're going to focus on four things, and we're going to see how that relates to ourselves and to Paul. And so the first point, what we're going to talk about this morning, is that the light of the gospel, and what is the gospel, first of all? What is the gospel? The gospel, broken down simply, is the good news. Good news. And what are the good news for us? Well, the good news are good news only because there's bad news that come before the good news. And I share with them, we're taking the communion. The good news of the gospel is that God loved this world so much. And he demonstrates his love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That God will become a man in order to take the punishment of our sin. Are you kidding me? Did you hear that? That we're sinful. And God is perfect. And no sinful thing can come to God and have a relationship with this perfect and holy God. And so God has to make provisions for that sin of ours. That sin of mine. And he does it not just by saying, you know what? I forgive you. Don't worry about it. Let's just sweep that under the rug. You know that sin thing? Let's just pretend it never happened. It's not what God does. He hates sin, and he must deal with every sin. What sin? Every sin of yours, every sin of mine. And he doesn't just sweep it under the rug. He says we need to deal with that sin. And as he realized that we're incapable of dealing with our own sin, he provides a sacrifice and a payment for our sin. And that is himself. God becomes a man that he may die for us. That he may suffer the just for the unjust. 
that he who knew no sin, God made him sin for us, that we may become the righteousness of Christ in him. That's the gospel. The gospel is you have lost sinners, incapable of doing anything to reach a perfect and holy God, and God coming down and reaching down to us. Because we deserve it? No. Because of his love. Because of his grace. The gospel tells us who we are, tells us who God is, and what God offers us, free of expense to us, but it cost him dearly. Don't forget that. There's that saying that that, uh, grace is free, but it's not cheap. Grace is free, but it's certainly not cheap. And so what does the light of the gospel do? The light of the gospel, first of all, exposes our sin. The gospel exposes our sin. And it really seems to start right there. It exposes our sin. What happened with Paul? Who was Paul? If you read about Paul, you know about Paul. Paul was a self-righteous individual. Paul was a religious dude. He grew up at the feet of Gamaliel, an outstanding teacher. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees, circumcised of the eighth day, the tribe of Benjamin. Everything that was supposed to be done by somebody like him, he did it to the max. He excelled over his contemporaries. He was numero uno on his way to be at the top. And he thought he was all that. And he was by human standards. He thought he was good. He thought because of his efforts, he deserved a special relationship with God. Self-righteousness. Living by the letter of the law, by the custom of his times, instead of by the spirit of the law. When people like Stephen stood up and spoke the truth, he was consenting to his death. Yeah, kill him. I'll hold, you. I'll hold your, your coat. Stone him to death. That heretic. Who does he think he is? He was a Pharisee. Self-righteous. What does it all come down to? Sinful individual. Thinking that he doesn't need God. Or thinking that he can reach God without Jesus Christ. Self-sufficient. If you would have asked him, he would have said, well, most of us maybe thought prior to coming to Christ and what most people out in the world say, I'm good. I'm a good person. You know, I'm not as good as I could be, but I'm, I'm good. Never been in jail, except for that one time, but you know, that doesn't count. There were tickets. You know. Never killed anybody. Hate my neighbor, but I never killed anybody. Never, you know... Yeah, uh, I disrespect my parents every once in a while, but who doesn't? And we start coming up with all these rationales. And we think we're good. We're just like Paul. We think we don't need Christ. We look at the blood and the bread and the juice, and we think, that's nice that he did that for me, but was it really necessary? As you couldn't believe, beloved. Completely necessary. The only option. For your salvation was his death, burial, and resurrection for your sin. And what the gospel then does, it exposes our sin, beloved. And that's very necessary because up to that point, we all rationalize away our sin. Yeah, I'm sinful, but man, 
Look at all the good things I've done. Sin, beloved, sin. And unless our sin is exposed and taken care of, there's, there's nothing. There is no relationship with God. As long as sin continues to be a barrier between you and God, there is no relationship until that sin is taken care of. And so the gospel exposes our sin. The light of the gospel sheds light in our sin. You know, what did, what did Adam and Eve do as soon as they sinned? They hid. What do you do when you sin? I come to the light. You hide. Maybe not physically, but you lie about it. You don't want people to know. You know, the depths of your heart. Jeremiah, utterly wicked, depraved. So we want to hide our sin. Going back to our great-great-grandparents, Adam and Eve. We do that now, but the light of the gospel comes and just shines that light. And there's nowhere for you to hide. There's nowhere for you to hide. Look at uh, several portions that uh, I encourage you to read the uh, little notes and additional readings there. But let's look at um, let's look at John three. Look at John chapter three. Very well known portion. You know the Lord speaking to Nicodemus, the new birth. But later on in that same chapter, verse, we're going to look at verses 19 through 21. John chapter 3, verse 19 through 21. And we're going to hurry. All right. If you're there, it says, this is the Lord Jesus Christ speaking, by the way, in case your Bible doesn't have red letters there. He says, and this is a condemnation... Listen to the Lord's words. This is the condemnation. This is what keeps you condemned. This is what gets you to hell. A lot of people misunderstand this, but listen. And this is the condemnation, Jesus said, that the light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. Nothing worse than being exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. What is the condemnation? That light has come into the world. The light of the gospel has lit up this world. But men love darkness rather than light. And we rather hide lest our deeds be exposed. That certainly goes for unbelievers, beloved. That certainly goes for people within the church that, is going, that are going through the motions. And that even goes for genuine Christians that are still struggling with sin, which we all are. But hopefully you're struggling, you're not embracing, right? There's a difference between falling into sin and diving into sin. You know, one thing is you do your trip, right? That's, that's always a funny thing. You weren't ex- 
planning on doing that, you find yourself in a situation like, oh my goodness, what was that? Was anybody looking? But it's very different to say like, you know, I know God says not to do that, but uh, <clears throat> since nobody else is watching, here we go. Very different, beloved. Let me just share with you, you probably know the story of Lazarus. I love that story. It's probably a story dear to most of us. The Lord Jesus Christ bringing back Lazarus from the dead. Lazarus' sisters coming to him saying, Lord, they send somebody to say, Lazarus, your friend is very sick. Please come. And the Lord purposely waits. He gets her four days. After four days of, of Lazarus being dead, he knew what the Lord knew what he was doing. And, and he gets there and he's been dead for four days. He's been in the tomb. He stinks. And listen, beloved. The Lord says, where is he? Show me. They walk him. There's a tomb. You know, they didn't bury him underground. There was a tomb and they would put a stone to, to seal it. And listen, beloved, the light of the gospel. The Lord tells him, remove the stone. And they're thinking, why would you do that? No, it stinks. He's been dead four days. Remove the stone. Expose the filth. Expose the smell. Don't keep it hidden. If, if the Lord were to listen to Martha, imagine, remove the stone. No, he's been dead four days. He stinks. Oh, okay, let's go have lunch then. Just leave him there. He says, remove the stone. I want everybody to know that he's been dead for days and that he stinks. That he's beyond help. But beloved, that stone had to be removed and that decomposing body and that stench needed to be exposed in order for God to do his work. And I think that has a lot for us to apply in our lives. God won't do a work in you as long as you want to hang on to your sin. The light of the gospel comes and shines and tells you. It's not because you're ignorant. You know, if you're struggling with sin, it's not because you're ignorant. It's because you choose, according to the Lord Jesus Christ, you choose to love darkness rather than light. And because God will not take you by the throat and force you, He in His grace and beyond my reason gives us the opportunity to choose to remain in our sin or to allow Him to expose it and turn it over to Him, confess it. And repent from it. The light of the gospel exposes our sin, beloved. And listen, if you're struggling, let's get this straight. I, I know, especially those of you who know me, right? <laughs> you know I wouldn't claim to be perfect or even close to that. And nobody here will ever claim that they are free of sin. We are free of the condemnation, the penalty of sin by God's grace. But all of us are on the same road. Where Dr. Dobson said, we're on the same sinking boat. And by God's grace, we won't sink. And he'll hold us up. But we all have issues that we need to take care of. And part of that is this group. You know, you're struggling with something? Let me give you some real good advice. Come on Saturday morning at 7 a.m. and pray with us. Give it over to the Lord. Do something. Don't just say like, oh my, you know what? It's been 15 years struggling with this. And then you do nothing different. 
The Lord says, confess your sins, for he is just and faithful to forgive us of all our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Do you believe it? Do you believe it? That's the question. The light of the gospel exposes our sin. It doesn't only do that, but the light of the gospel also, if you're writing this down, exhibits God's grace. Exhibits God's grace. When you hear the gospel, understand this, beloved. It's all about the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about God. The gospel begins with God. And it's all about him. We get into so much trouble when we begin to preach and teach and believe that it's all about us. That's what Satan wants you to believe. Oh, God is there for me. You know, come and you need a miracle? Let's go and it's all about you. You want prosperity? You want, you want, you want, you want, you want? Come to God. No. God is so gracious. And I mean, I'll be the first one to say I'm blessed beyond anything I could have even hoped for. But ultimately, our relationship with God is not about us. It's about his honor. It's about his glory. It's about him. He is the star. And so the light of the gospel exhibits God's grace. With Paul, it, it exposed to sin. He realized immediately, oh my goodness, I've been wrong all this time. All this self-righteousness. In one second, he realized he was way off on left field. And he's corrected. His sin was exposed and really taken care of. And then the light of the gospel exhibits God's grace. Think about Paul. And he's saying here, right? I think that's, that was part of his, his uh, motive in sharing his story with these people that had just beat him up. I can just imagine him. He's all bloody. You know, he wasn't all, he just got, they were trying to kill the guy. And he stands there and tells me, you know what? I used to persecute the church. I used to get letters from these guys here to go to Damascus and, and, and arrest and imprison these Christians. I hated him. So, beloved, when you talk about the gospel or the light of the gospel exhibiting God's grace, and you look at Paul, later on, Timothy says, God came to save sinners of whom I am chief. I am number one sinner here. You look at Paul's life, and sometimes we think, like, oh, Paul did so much. Awesome. Ooh, we, Paul. But remember prior to his conversion, who he was, what he was. He was everything contrary to the gospel. And then he saves them, and God begins to manifest his grace in Paul's life. He goes from being a persecutor of the church, a murderer of Christians, to the one that Christ would use to share the gospel with the whole world, and including us now. We read his letters. And so the light of the gospel exhibits God's grace. Again, you know, I don't spend too much time in this, but there's, there's this movement of uh, gospel preachers that don't make it about God. They make it about man. It's all about you. Come to our special miracle service to receive the anointing. Anointing, yes, by the Holy Spirit, by God's grace. We just want to be careful with that. Understand the gospel highlights and exhibits God's grace. God's grace. Uh, let, let's, let's read a portion here. Uh, let's do um, Colossians chapter 1. Look at, look at Colossians and, and talking about, you know, the whole letter of, of, of uh, Paul to the church in 
to the Colossians is uh, really exalting Jesus Christ because that was the issue that he was addressing there with them where they were, they didn't, uh, some false teaching was creeping into that church there where they were basically saying, you know, Jesus is not God. It's not who he claimed to be. And so the whole letter of Colossians, if you read it, I love it, it, it basically exalts the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what the gospel does. Listen to this, Colossians chapter 1, and we'll just read verses 3 to 6, and, and keep in mind what we're saying is that the gospel exhibits God's grace. It demonstrates God's goodness. Colossians 1, 3 to 6. Paul speaking here, by the way. It says, We give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of your love for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven of which you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel which has come to you as it has also in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is among you since the day you heard and knew what? The grace of God in truth. All these wonderful things are happening since you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. When you heard the gospel, he says, all these things have come about through the gospel. When you heard and knew the grace of God in truth. Beloved, the light of the gospel exhibits God's grace. Not only are we told, but we see it in Paul's life. And you, see, you should see it in your life. You know, when we talk about new life. And you're able to compare it to that old life. What it should do is exhibit God's grace in your life. We should be able to say, thank God I'm not where I used to be. And it's only by God's grace. I used to be this, now I'm that. I used to do that, but now I do this. It's only God's grace. It exposes our sin and exhibits God's grace. And the third thing we want to talk about is that the light of the gospel edifies the believer. You know, it's not a one-time shot. Sometimes we say, like, oh, you know, uh, I heard the gospel 20 years ago and was converted, so I don't need the gospel anymore. That's not the case. The gospel continues to edify the believer. Going back to the basics edifies us. It, it, it not only is it the foundation, but it's really what elements God uses to, to continue to build upon our lives. When you start getting away from the gospel, it's when you start getting in trouble. The light of the gospel edifies the believer. Um, you're still in Colossians? I really want to read that whole portion, but look at if you're still in Colossians, we read up to verse 6. Now let's pick it up again in verse 9 and see how not only does it exalt God's grace, but it also edifies the believer. Look at Colossians 1.9. Same chapter that we just read about how it exhibits God's grace. It's also going to talk about how it edifies the believer. So as we read Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, see how the gospel edifies the believer. It says, For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, heard what? The gospel... Do not cease 
to pray for you or cease when they heard that they had received the gospel. Do not cease to pray for you and ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. Not only are you saved, but now we pray that you will be filled with the knowledge of his will. Continue to grow. Be edified by it. In all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That you may walk worthy of the Lord. Fully pleasing him. Being fruitful in every good work. And increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might. According to his glorious power. For all patience and long-suffering with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the what? In the light. The light of the gospel, beloved. Not only are we saved by it, but we're edified by it. To be filled in knowledge and wisdom. To know how to live. To know how to walk worthy of the Lord's calling. For the sake of time... You also have 2 Timothy 1, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16, talking about uh, all scripture given by inspiration of God and used for basically the equipping of all the saints that we may be able to carry out God's work. The gospel is a beautiful thing, beloved. It exposes our sin and continues to expose our sin, exhibit God's grace, Edifies the believer, but I want to end with this that the light of the gospel ultimately exalts Jesus Christ. You know, the songs that we sing is to exalt God, to exalt our Lord Jesus Christ. He is worthy over and over. Worthy is the Lamb. It's all about Him. Again, you get into so much trouble. Kind of breaks my heart to hear so many people. You know what? Uh, I used to go to church, but they're they're disappointed in God. So many people. You know, He didn't come through that one time. He didn't give me that one thing that I asked Him for. You know, I prayed sincerely, and it never happened. And and the fundamental mistake with that is that we think it's about us. We think that God is there for us. In a big sense, He is. You know, he's the one that says, I will never leave you or forsake you. Yeah, uh, we sang in Spanish, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I will not fear. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. All that, of course, is true. But you have to start with God. And the gospel ultimately exalts Jesus Christ. And we get to partake in that glory. We get to partake in that grace. We get to partake and be co-heirs with Christ and all that awesome stuff. But it's ultimately all about him. And if you start there, you'll avoid a lot of trouble, especially in your, in your life and how you perceive God. You know, ultimately, it's all God's glory, not your happiness or comfort. If you think that Christianity is about you being comfortable and happy and not suffering and never having any, you know, trials or, temp, you know, or tests, you, you, you got sold something that wasn't the gospel. The light of the gospel exalts Jesus Christ. And so if you're living in the gospel, if you're living in the word, your life should exalt Jesus Christ. It shouldn't be about you. It should be about him. Let's finish with 2 Corinthians chapter 4, because this portion just totally, 2 Corinthians chapter 4.
2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. This, this portion here just captures um, what we're talking about here. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I don't know if you have a heading in your Bible. My heading says, The Light of Christ's Gospel. Perfect. Listen to what it says. Again, same author, Paul. Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the hidden things of shame. You hear that? The light of the gospel comes and shines and says, We renounce the hidden things of shame. We get away from those things which cause shame and for which we try to hide. We renounce them. Not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Listen to this. Whose minds the God, Satan, of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, read in Genesis, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This portion actually speaks of every one of the points that we just talked about. Highlight it, read it, mark it, go back and read it. And we can spend a long time here. But really just uh, try to absorb that. He says, the mind, verse 4, the God of this age has blinded. Keep that in mind, you're talking to a non-believer. They're blind to the gospel. The minds of the God of this age has blinded who do not believe lest... The light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. And then the Bible says that Jesus is the light of the world. And then we're told we're the light of this world as well. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ lives in us. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And our job now is to go and share that gospel, to spread that light. And let, let the gospel do the exposing of sin, exhibiting God's grace, the edifying of the believer, and the exalting of Jesus Christ. Let's know the gospel. Let's learn the gospel. Let's get in the word. Let the gospel do this in your life. We see the gospel doing that in Paul's life. And and let's challenge ourselves to really, is the gospel doing this? Is it exposing my sin? And what am I doing about it? Am I being exposed and then hiding again or giving it up to God? Is the light of the gospel exhibiting God's grace or has it become about you? The light of the gospel edifies the believer. Are you growing? You can't come to church and just hear. James says, you're deceiving yourself. If there's no growth, you're deceiving yourselves. Be doers of the word. Be edified. Grow. And is the light of the gospel exalting Jesus Christ in your life? Is it all about him or is it about you? I tend to carry this little bracelet here Some. We've been, you know, giving this to all the kids that come to the youth group. And it just basically says, I am second. 
And I wear it at work, and kids ask me, like, oh, what's, what's your bracelet? I am, I am what? And they'll say, I'm, I'm second. What is that? It's kind of weird, right? I'm second. So then my easy response is, yeah, I'm second. God is first. And it's one thing to wear the bracelet, and it's another thing to live it out, right? The question is, am I living for myself, or am I living for him who died for me and rose again? May the Lord bless his, his, his word. Uh, let's go ahead and stand to be dismissed. Take your notes, read them, meditate on them. Let God speak to you. And uh, let's be filled with the gospel, and let's fill this world and our communities with it as well. Let him do the work. Gracious Father, we thank you once again for allowing us this opportunity to open up your word and to study and to, to be able to meditate on it. As we continue to read Acts and look at the life of Paul and what you've done through him, Father, give us the faith to believe that as you worked in him, you desire to work in us and through us. Thank you for all my brothers and sisters who are here. We ask that we dismiss us with your blessing. And help us, Father, to exalt you in everything that we do, Father. That uh, as uh, the kids mentioned this morning in their verse, that we too, if we desire to follow your son, that we may be willing to pick up the cross, surrender it all, and give it to you and follow you. Help us to be witnesses of your grace and love to those around us. We pray in Jesus' precious and mighty name. Amen. May the Lord bless you, beloved. You're dismissed.